What's up, everybody? Nate Lurie back with more of We're the Inspiration. With some dark humor and brutal honesty, we're exploring the absurdity and normalcy of living with disabilities. Stories are told on this show, and everyone's is different. One by one, we're going to tell as many as we can, while bringing you the most entertaining podcast about disabilities you'll ever hear. Having someone with their own following has sort of been a pipe dream for me until now, because this week I have with me someone who, despite the fact that he was born without arms or legs, has become a magician. Maddie Gilbert, thank you for being the inspiration for this week's show. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. <laughs> now, let's start sort of toward the beginning of your life. Like I said, you were born without arms or legs, but if Wikipedia is to be believed, nobody knows why that happened to you. There's not a medical term. I often see people use the wrong medical terms for both me and other people who are born either with some sort of a, a difference in their limbs or missing limbs. So it is very interesting, but as far as I know, there's no uh, medical explanation that is a confirmed thing. I see all sorts of different causalities attributed. There was a big thing with thalidomide. Uh, mothers were being prescribed thalidomide, uh, which was a medicine for nausea and stuff for mothers who are pregnant. It was causing all these children to lose their limbs and have all these abnormal developments. So you see that thrown a lot. That was not during my time. That was before my time. People still use that as if people nowadays are using thalidomide while pregnant, which as far as I know is not happening, but people still use the term. Uh, so it is funny <laughs> to see all these terms, you know, thrown around on the internet, but it's the internet. So people can just do whatever they want. One of the reasons that stuck out to me was I'm a little older than you, but I have spina bifida. And as far as I know, there's no one known cause for that either. Like, yeah. uh, a lot of speculation has to do with, you know, uh, a lack of this or that and expectant mothers and stuff like that. But for all I know, there could be a, a variety of reasons for it. Some people need to have some sort of explanation or they need to have some sort of story to make sense to them. But I think it's just something that is a mystery. I don't know why you have what you have. You don't know why I am the way that I am. And to be honest, I don't think it matters, really. It's not something we <laughs> spend a lot of time thinking about. We just have our issues. Yeah, it's not. Uh, honestly, I mean, maybe, maybe when I was younger, I would think about it. I find the the older I get, the less curious I get. <laughs> I, just, I just have too many things to deal with. Uh, so I just, you know, it's really just not in my mind. Mm -hmm. So going back again to when you were younger. Now, like I said, I have spina bifida. And for like the first 17 years of my life, I could move my legs. Can't anymore because of botched surgery, long story. But... What happened to me at that point was I had to relearn how to do a lot of things. So I imagine for someone who was born without arms or legs, there must have been some things that people would normally find routine that 
you might have struggled with to learn how to adapt? Yeah, basically everything. I think you only become good at what you use. And the brain and the body just works like that. You know, a few hundred years ago, not even that long, to be quite honest, the general population did not read or write. So it was not something that was easy for people. If somebody wanted to learn how to read or write and they didn't do it growing up, you would see people struggling with it as they learn how to do it in adulthood. But even though there were certain things that I did not do when I was young, like when I was young, I never tied any of my shoelaces. I had shoes with Velcro or I had other people tie my shoelaces. Once I hit a certain age, 17 or 18, I didn't have anybody in the morning to tie my shoes anymore. I had to learn how to tie my shoes. And so that's when I learned. I could have learned it before, but I didn't. But it also goes in the other end. You know, I learned how to type. I was using a computer when I was very young. So I learned how to type and use a computer much earlier than most people. You know, I learned how to play video games. And so that's something that I had a, a lot of dexterity with. It depends on what you do and, you know, what you need to do. I think it really depends on what it is you're doing every single day. And if you have help to do it or if you don't have help and you will develop skills or not develop skills based on that. Now, obviously, or it's at least obvious to me because I've seen it, but when you're doing your magic, you don't use any adaptive equipment. But for things like playing video games or more everyday things, do you use any kind of adaptive equipment? I have prosthetic legs to walk around with. But I don't use any prosthetics on my arms. I did when I was younger. I had different prosthetics that could hold spoons and forks and that could help me type and stuff like that. I tried out a lot of stuff when I was younger, like different prosthetic arms with, you know, a hand on it or a hook. Not a hook. It's like a, a claw. I don't know what it is. It opens and closes. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it kind of uh, it kind of works as fingers. Yeah, sort yeah. of. It's like these two things. Anyways, I tried that. None of it was beneficial to me. And it was more of a headache, even in terms of eating and stuff. It was useful for me when I was very young. But then you have a prosthetic that if you want to eat, you have to carry this around or you want to do this, you have to carry it around. So as I grew up, I just learned how to use everything without an assistive device. I never went back to them. See, one of the follow-up questions I had was if you had noticed that those assistive devices have improved over time, but if you don't use them anymore, you don't really know. I don't know. I'm a very old school kind of guy, to be honest. Even my prosthetic legs are very basic. They're probably like the most basic type if you know anything about prosthetic foots that have all these fancy legs and foots and different things that they can do in terms of the shock absorption and they have feet that can angle like it does all sorts of technology that they work on to make people's lives easier for me i just use the most basic technology it's just flat it's all just very basic there's <laughs> there's as little moving as possible now, from what I've seen of you, and again, it's all been on YouTube, but I wouldn't have known that you were using prosthetic legs. So one of the 
interesting things to me was every time I see you, you're wearing shoes. And the reason that interests me is when I'm in my car, you know, trying to scoot out of it or whatever, a lot of times one of my shoes would just fall off. So, and again, I didn't know about the prosthetic legs, but what I wondered when I saw that from you was, you know, if you don't have legs or specifically if you don't have feet, how do you keep your shoes on? And the answer is prosthetics. Yeah. And, you know, it's something I generally, I wear when I'm outside of my, like right now I'm not wearing them. I'm in my house, but if I'm out and about, I I need to be able to walk. So I'm wearing them and usually I wear them all day. People don't generally see me without them. (laughs) Unless, (laughs) so I'm pretty much wearing it all the time when people see me. Uh No, that's fair. I don't know that many amputees. I know a lot of people in wheelchairs, but I think there are a lot of people without limbs that probably feel the same way. Some people can only stand to wear theirs for a few hours at a time. Uh, And so you'll often see them in a wheelchair or something. Or, I mean, for me, I'm used to wearing them all day and every day. So because I'm usually very active, I'm outside and it's not a problem for me. But for some people, it can be uncomfortable. And also, if you do have some sort of problem with your prosthetic, it can be very painful. The most minor little thing that you could possibly imagine that you look at it and you're thinking, oh, there's nothing wrong with this. When you're wearing it, you don't feel it for five minutes. You don't feel it for 10 minutes. But if there's something off at the end of the day, you're going to have a lot of pain. So there's a lot of reasons why some people don't wear them all day. That's true. Like they need to be really good. If it's not pain, it's probably skin abrasions and stuff like that, which can be their own animal. Yeah. So let's get into the magic a little bit. Now, the first thing I saw you on was Penn and Teller Fool Us, which if people don't know, that's a show where Penn and Teller, they invite other magicians on a stage and they perform tricks and Penn and Teller are trying to guess their methods. And you fooled them. So how, yes. how did that feel? It felt amazing. You know, I really went on the TV show. I just wanted to do a good job. And uh, it was just an incredible experience. So definitely a highlight for me. I'm really big fans of what they do in terms of their magic. So very happy to be on TV with them and share magic with them. Going back a little bit, what first got you into magic? Was it a specific person? No, you always see magicians. So, you know, I would watch people like David Blaine and David Copperfield and Darren Brown and really enjoy what they were doing. But for me, I just love the idea of magic. It was so cool to me that, you know, somebody could do magic and I wanted to learn this stuff and share it with other people. I've even heard you say that through magic, you wanted to prove anything was possible. Not prove. I always felt like so many things were impossible for me. And, you know, a magician is just somebody who can do anything. They can do the impossible. So for me, I just thought, oh, if I become a magician, I can do anything. And as I grew up, it's just more of a real mindset for me that you really can do everything. And that's both one of the most inspiring and depressing things at the same time because it's like finding out how a magic trick works. When you become a magician, 
and the first few months that you're into magic and you're learning how everything works can be really depressing because you've seen something so beautiful and so powerful and then you see how it works and the secrets are often so disappointing and it really is like a gut-wrenching feeling sometimes to find out how a magic trick works because it takes away a lot of its power from it and i think you can have a similar feeling throughout life figuring out how the world works <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I can i can pretty much agree with that as far as magic goes i had a magic kit when i was a kid i think it was a harry blackstone kit if i remember correctly but the only thing I remember that I learned how to do in that kit was like take these three little ropes and make them one. <laughs> that kind yeah. of thing. Um, I don't remember what else it had in it, but I branched into radio at some point, didn't stick with magic. But do you feel like the fact, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but do you feel like the fact that you've had to develop your own methods for tricks has sort of put the mystique back into it for you or i don't know there's different things going on in magic the experience that you have as a magician is a totally different experience than what the audience has so for me the main thing that i try to get out of my experience of magic is to enjoy it i want magic to inspire me i want to have pure joy, whether that's me working on magic, meeting magicians and talking about magic. Sometimes you're staying in a magician's house for a few days and you're talking about things day and night, or you're working on a new trick, or it's the first time you've performed something in front of the audience and you're getting that feedback. There's a lot of ways to enjoy it, but my experience of it is quite a different experience than the audience because the experience of doing magic and learning magic requires a lot of repetition. You're often doing the same things over and over and over again for years at a time. Whereas for the audience, everything is new for the most part. You're generally not performing the same thing in front of the same audience. Right. Night after. Usually it's a different audience or you're doing different magic for them if it's the same audience. So it's two different things but creating magic doesn't really bring mystique into it for me i just love magic that is really elegant and powerful and nobody knows how it works if you say that knowing how the tricks work sort of take the fun out of it to an extent is the fun more in performing the magic or there's fun in everything. There's fun in practicing. There's fun in sharing magic with other magicians, sharing magic with regular people who aren't magicians. But there is something about knowing the secret of magic that takes away the impact of it. If one of my friends performs a really beautiful piece of magic and I feel really touched by it, it's powerful, I'm fooled, Many times I don't want to know how it's done because it will ruin the experience for me. And I don't know how many things there are like that in life where if you know how it's done, it ruins the experience. But magic definitely, there's certain parts of it that need to be kept secret. If you are using deception as part of the method, there's other things that 
could really be wonderful and powerful that don't have any deception involved. There's people who, for example, can have a photographic memory and they can memorize a whole book and they'll tell you, name a page, okay, open that page up, look at any word on that page, remember it, now tell me what line it is in the book and how many words down is it on that page, on that line. And they'll tell you, oh, it's on page 410. And on the 10th line, I'm thinking of the third word. And the person will have memorized the whole book and they can tell you that. And sometimes magicians do this by faking it. There's some trick to it. Uh, but there's people who can do this for real. So if, you know, somebody's doing something that's incredible for real, there's no secret involved with it. And it still is amazing. But if there is something that, uh, involves a secret and the secret becomes known there's no more magic anymore that's what i believe there's magicians who would disagree with me very strongly but uh that's my feeling about it well when you put it in terms like you just did this is not exclusive to magic but i feel like if you learn how to do something or learn how something is done a lot of times that's designed to help you and then you have something exclusive to magic where if you learn how a trick is done, especially if you're not a magician, you're very disappointed sometimes. I think you're disappointed every time. I don't think anybody has ever enjoyed learning how a magic trick works. It's something that just seems like a good idea, but it's not. It's like if you really like ice cream and you're like, oh, this flavor is so good. Oh, you know what? Let me eat this whole bowl of ice cream. And it's like two liter <laughs> of ice cream. And then you're like, oh, this is amazing. And then you finish, you're like, even if you don't get sick, even if you don't throw up, you're thinking like, man, that was not worth it. I would have rather enjoyed the way that I was enjoying it rather than going all out in this direction. That's not a good analogy. I'm not trying to persuade anyone. I just have my own feeling of it that I think I am correct. I just, I haven't prepared myself to verbalize an argument to defend the ideas that I have in my mind for this interview. <laughs> no, that's fine. I feel like the ice cream analogy is sort of like, you know, the mystique of how people do eating challenges, but you know, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> yeah, I just think it, it doesn't have anything to do with uh, the experience of it. It's like if you show somebody a movie, you make a movie, you know, let's say you make The Lord of the Rings, right? Mm -hmm. And you have this beautiful story and you have all these elements. You ask somebody, what did you think about it? And they're like, and all they want to do is just talk about the special effects. And you're like, yeah, but there's, you know, there's a story to it. What do you think of the music? And they're like, yeah, that, that was all good. You know, the acting was good. The music was good. The costumes, I don't really care. Yeah, but when you did that thing, the, the goblin climbed down the wall, and I, you know, the way you did that with CGI, the passion, what I'm trying to share in magic has very little to do with the secret and a conversation about the secrets and the methods of magic. I know that you've said that you have had to develop your own methods for tricks. And yeah. what I want to know is not how they're done, but... I want to know, how long do you think that takes you versus someone who just reads about them and does their tricks based on what's in a book? When you do magic, it's like if you learn how to play a song. Yeah, you can learn it. And here I am making another analogy, you know, which is my last two analogies were complete failures. Here I go again. 
you can learn how to do something very quickly. You know, the finger positioning, the song, the rhythm, for it to become really a part of your repertoire to where you feel that you can perform it and you add something of your own style and your own unique voice to it. It does take time. You need time with the piece, uh, with a piece of music and with a piece of magic. So I think depending on what it is I'm working on, I can have the bare bones, the, the outline of the structure very quickly in a sitting but to really work out the details and you discover little things it could take you uh, months and years of performing it and you know you have little ideas here and there you you try it out and things change as you do them throughout time i actually like the learning to play a song analogy because obviously some people learn how to play songs that already exist other people write them so, yeah so I, I think that's a good analogy there. Going back to the disability part a little bit. In the beginning, was it harder for you to get booked for magic shows because you had no arms or legs? I don't know. I think these are conversations that people have internally with themselves or that they have maybe with other people, but I'm never part of those conversations. I can suspect that certain things happen a certain way but you know it's like anybody who you know is trying to get a job or trying to get a position or try to do anything and maybe they're facing some sort of uh discrimination based on a, a part of their person maybe it's their gender or racial background or something that's part of them and people are making maybe a decision based on that. I don't know exactly how that's happening or what's happening, so I can't comment. But I would suspect that some of that does happen, but I can't tell you because those are not decisions that are made openly. But I think it's reasonable to assume that you do get some positive and negatives depending on a variety of factors. Even something like my name, which is a very foreign name, could also factor into something. These are all things that are happening, but I think for everybody, uh, myself included, the point is th this is also one of the great mysteries of life, uh, how people perceive you and the decisions made based on how they perceive you. And you can assume things, but I think generally you can't influence the outcome outside of your own behavior and the way you put it out into the world. So I think regardless of what decisions people are making based on their personal feelings or, or biases, you have to be able to overcome that in order to earn a living. And yeah, it could mean that you're going to miss work or get some work but that's something that we don't have control over. Yeah. I just think that as much as you don't want to lose opportunities because of something like that, your physical condition, mm -hmm. you also don't want to just be given opportunities because of your physical condition. Right. So, you know, now they have all these quotas and stuff at certain workplaces where they want to hire a certain number of people from you know, different backgrounds. We want this many men, this many women, maybe disabled people, or, you know, and they have to be visibly disabled so, you know, we can show it. Right. 
<laughs> so like, you know, you have all these bizarre conversations happening in different human resource departments and different companies. And it's just, it's just not something that interests me. If somebody wants to hire me because they want to show something to the world, like, oh, look, I'm such a good company. I hired a disabled person and they're going to perform some magic for us. I don't know. I mean, that's, <laughs> I would not want to be told that, but you know, I'd be happy to get to work, but at the same time, it's like, uh, okay. Like, you know, it's, it's really weird. It's not something you'd want to think about unless it happens. I understand that. Yeah. I think it's just a meaning, but I think these things do happen. I just think it's not something that I concern myself with too much. Like I said, a lot of what I've seen of you has been on YouTube. And I think everything I've seen you do has involved card tricks. So are you able to do more magic than card tricks? or? Yeah, I do a lot of stuff in my show. Most of the stuff I do is smaller because I just usually travel with a small bag. And I carry different stuff like cups and balls and coins and cards and you know little things that i use in a show uh, i would love to do bigger magic uh on stage it's just more logistically challenging to travel with larger apparatus for me i don't drive so usually the way i'm getting to different places is i'm taking an airplane there you know if i'm being hired in a different city to fly with certain stuff might just not be worthwhile. It's too big. It could get lost. It could get damaged. The cost of shipping it, the cost of flying with it, it makes performing with certain things much more expensive to the point of not being worth it. It depends on what kind of show you're doing. If you're doing a touring magic show and you're, you have a huge you know caravan of trucks and you're doing an illusion show, that's a different thing. But uh, for me, my operation is much smaller, so, yeah. so I do not yeah. have a caravan of illusions following me. Yeah, maybe one day, right? <laughs> I think if I ever have enough money to do that, I'll, I'll retire a lot longer, <laughs> a, lot, <laughs> a lot quicker than you know, starting a touring show with all this stuff. Now, going back a little bit, I hadn't planned to ask this, but you did say that you don't drive. Could you if you use the prosthesis or technically i could get a modification to drive it's just very expensive and maybe in, in the future things will change but it's not something that i have pursued oh that's fair enough last question and it's pretty much the same for everybody at least the people that are disabled in some way this show is called we're the inspiration which is sort of making fun of the fact that disabled people of all types are called inspirations out of thin air by, you know, people for pretty much no reason, right? And I don't know if that's something you would, again, call demeaning, like the conversation. No, I think think people mean well by it. You know, I think if somebody's inspired by what I'm doing or what anybody else is doing, that's great. There's a lot of negative energy in the world. We need to put out positive energy and you may not want to be people's inspiration, but the way that they feel about you is not necessarily your business. So if you're giving them something positive, just be quiet and be happy for them. 
in your case, I believe that you really legitimately could be called an inspiration because there might be somebody out there with, you know, no arms or whatever that would want to go into magic and they see you and know it's possible. But, you know, for a lot of disabled people that I know, some of us have six senses of humor and, you know, we sort of now find it funny when we're called inspirations. So I don't know if there was an example you had of someone calling you something similar when they didn't even know what you did. People have told me that I was an inspiration um, ever since I was a little kid. So I don't think it has anything to do with doing something particularly. I think uh, people can just be inspired by somebody living their life and just doing stuff. So, yeah, I do understand that, but I think it's a good thing. Well, the man is Maddie Gilbert. The website is maddythemagician.com, and that's M-A-H-D-I, correct? Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, man. Oh, thank you very much. So I've had some people I didn't know reach out to me to be on the show before. Maddie was the first person I didn't know that I reached out to that said, yes, I'll do your show. I think we had a well-rounded conversation between disability and magic. I want to thank him for saying yes to being on the show and thank everybody for listening. Remember that links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Discord server will be in the description when I put the show up. And until next week, this is Nate Lurie saying, you don't always have to do a lot to inspire others.